You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing a scientific method that underlies medicine, specifically the establishment of clinical research networks. In this segment, we will focus on the remarkable structure of the Maternal Fetal Medicine Network, funded and established by the National Institutes of Health. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Dr. Catherine Spong, who is chief of the Pregnancy and Perinatology Branch of the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. A graduate of the six-year honors program in medical education at the University of Missouri in Kansas City, she is also associate editor of the journal Obstetrics and Gynecology. Her most important title for the purpose of this segment is program scientist for the Maternal Fetal Medicine Unit. Welcome, Dr. Spong. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. In the 1950s, the standard treatment for premature infants with respiratory distress syndrome was 100% oxygen. An estimated 10,000 babies were blinded before the dangers of high oxygen treatment were fully understood. As a physician, I'm only too aware that we still provide some treatments to patients because it makes sense, that's the way we have always done it, or because that is the way I was trained. This segment will describe the methodology used to actually test the safety and efficacy of different treatment protocols to learn what works best. Dr. Spong, although many of our listeners are familiar with the National Institute of Health, some are not. Can you tell us a little about the organization in general and your institute in particular? Absolutely. The National Institutes of Health is a part of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and is the primary federal agency for conducting and supporting medical research. It's made up of 27 different components uh, called institutes and centers, each with their own specific research agendas. My branch is in the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development that was established in 1962 and supports research on topics like children, adults, families, and populations. The Pregnancy and Perinatology branch within NICHD seeks to improve the health of mothers and children with a focus on maternal health, pregnancy, fetal well-being, labor and delivery, and the developing child. Sounds like a, a rather broad mandate. It is rather broad. We are focused predominantly on identifying and improving outcomes for pregnant women, their children, the neonate, and the infant through the first year of life. So there are a number of pediatric programs as well within this branch. That's right. I see. Can you give our listeners some background about the medical research funding process that the NIH oversees? Right. The NIH has two different components. There's an intramural component. There are researchers at the NIH itself um, located on NIH campuses that do specific research that is mandated by their institute. In addition, the NIH's major component is what's called extramural where we fund individuals and institutions who are interested in performing specific research topics through grants and contracts and cooperative agreements. So if someone's interested in a specific topic, they can put in a research grant, and it would go through a peer review process, and then if it met certain criteria, might be funded. Do you ever do uh, collaborative projects with outside foundations such as the March of Dimes? Absolutely. There are different foundations and as well as other institutes and agencies that will work collaboratively on different projects. What is the Maternal Fetal Medicine Network? The Maternal Fetal Medicine Unit's network is a cooperative agreement with NICHD that is interested in improving the outcome of pregnancy. It was established initially in 1986 
um, because of the dearth of evidence for um, many treatments in high-risk obstetrics. Currently, it has 14 clinical sites and encompasses about 120,000 deliveries in each year. And there's an independent data center, and the sites are recompeted actively every five years. Do all 14 sites have to compete in the same year, or is it kind of a rolling thing where some sites are up for renewal this year and some for next year? In some networks, they do it where it's a rolling thing. The Maternal Fetal Medicine Unit Network is actively recompeted all sites at one time every five years, and that's to allow continuity for the network itself over that five-year process while they're running different studies and trials. Uh, during the recompetition, it's always somewhat difficult because sites that don't um, successfully recompete, you need to be able to wind them down but still follow up the patients who were enrolled. And then the new sites have to um, get the ball rolling to start enrolling patients in different trials. Doesn't that cause chaos, uh, at least in terms of trying to figure out who's going to be in the network for the next five years, that year before when, when everybody has to be uh, reappointed? I don't know that chaos is a good word to describe it, but um, it certainly does keep people on their toes. And, uh, you know, the best centers are the ones who are going to make it back in and are going to be successful in the competition. It's an external peer review that reviews the applications, and so people are really trying very hard, especially in those last couple of years, to perform their best um, in order to try to stay in. What are the uh, criteria that the external peer reviewers uh, look for, that the institution looks for, in terms of bringing a university center in or reappointing a university center? For these recompetitions, there's what's called an RFA, or a request for applications, that's put out by NICHD that goes through all of the different things that are required to, uh, if you wanted to um, apply to be a site, and in addition, it goes through the different criteria that they're going to be judged on, such as um, what kinds of capabilities that they have, um, the strength of the institution, are they able to support the network itself, uh, the principal investigator, do they have experience in doing multicenter clinical trials, different things like that. How many uh, institutions compete every five years? You know, each time it's going to be different, but I'd say probably in the order of 20 or more. I see. So you're picking up uh, 14 out of 20 to 25, perhaps. Right. And it's changed over the years. In the beginning, um, there were seven centers that were funded. Um, that then um, became 11 centers in a, in a subsequent competition. Then it was 13 centers, and it's been stable at 14 for the last two cycles. Can you give us the name of a few of the participating universities? For this uh, current cycle, uh, Columbia University in New York, uh, Metro Health, in uh, Ohio, McGee Women's in Pittsburgh, Northwestern University in Chicago, Ohio State University, Oregon Health Sciences University, and the University of Alabama, University of North Carolina, University of Texas at Houston, University of Texas Southwestern in Dallas, the University of Utah, the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, Wayne State University in Michigan, and Women's and Infants Hospital in um, Rhode Island. On hearing that list, I have to think that one of the criteria might be regional representation. Is that a fair guess? Yeah, part of the interest in establishing the network and trying to create a network each five years is to get some geographic diversity with the hope that we would then be able to emulate better the population of the United States. Now, one thing that I'm interested in is the infrastructure that the participating universities are expected to provide, because right now we've been talking rather abstractly, but when we talk about actually instituting 
an actual study. What does that mean specifically for the specific hospital university? Right. To participate in the network, you have to have the ability to do multicenter clinical trials. So it's important for a site to have participated in multicenter trials in the past. In addition, because this is a maternal fetal network, there have to be board-certified physicians in obstetrics and gynecology and maternal fetal medicine. It's also important to have neonatologists who are actively on board and interested in participating because a number of the studies require follow-up. They have to have a certain number of patients. We require, in this last cycle, a minimum of 2,700 births per year, with at least 30% of them being high-risk patients. They have to have an intensive care unit, they need to have a perinatal data system, and they have to be willing and interested in participating. What about having uh, research nurses uh, to collect consents and things of this nature? Right. If selected to participate in the network, the network's base budget does provide um, some salary support for the principal investigator, as well as a full-time nurse coordinator, a full-time research nurse, and a part-time data entry clerk. In addition, as subjects are enrolled, the way that the network is set up, um, it generally each site has multiple research nurses working on it that are provided for with the funds for each of the studies. Something I was wondering about, and it might be, I suppose, a little bit silly, but what happens when you want to get a consent in the middle of the night? If you only have one funded research nurse or it's weekends, or how does that work in terms of explaining these studies and obtaining informed consent? That's a critical component of the whole process. In order to participate in the network and to participate in each specific study, sites have to undergo an evaluation that they are ready to participate in that trial or in that study, where there's a checklist of things including quizzes and compliance that they understand the protocol and are only nurses who are certified on that protocol are going to be able to consent for that trial. So for a trial that might occur with enrollment 24 hours a day, the sites have to have 24-hour day coverage to be able to do that. Although the base budget of the network only covers the nurse coordinator and one research nurse, each trial itself brings money to the institution that they are going to participate in. So they will have more than just those two nurses working on the network. Some of the network sites have 10 to 15 research nurses working on the network. So a study, for instance, that could reasonably expect to have the need 24-7 for consent will bring at least some money to facilitate that and provide for the research nurses to do that. Absolutely. For the maternal fetal medicine network, when we try to determine the cost for each study, we take into account when patients are going to need to be recruited and what it takes to get a patient into the study to figure out the reimbursements. Now, uh, to spend a little bit more time on consent itself, this is actually uh, a very technical, uh, a very uh, rigorous process. My impression is that if a university is participating, it's not just that any labor nurse can get the consent of a patient, even if she meets certain criteria. The nurse has to have special training and pre-approval by the study. Is that correct? That's correct. Each nurse who is going to consent or work at all on a study has to have undergone a certification process and passed a quiz before they can work on that study or trial. And then uh, as program scientists, what is your role in this um, network, perhaps study selection or running the studies? So the NICHD participates cooperatively with the um, clinical sites and the independent data center. And as the program scientist, I work with 
the network investigators in identifying which studies should be done. Um, I work in, along with them on developing the protocols themselves, uh, developing the budgets for those protocols. Uh, I review very carefully each stage of these protocols before they're started. Um, I assist in reporting the uh, work to the community and writing up the trials. I assist in the conduct of the trials and the steering committee meetings and active subcommittees. Sounds uh, more or less like a full-time job. <laughs> it, it certainly can be. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Catherine Spong, program scientist for the Maternal Fetal Medicine Unit of the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.